All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 43 points, or one-tenth of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 11 points, or three-tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 69 points, or six-tenths of 1%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 2%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 6.2%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 12.6%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, I I know Dad's not going to like to hear this, but we're going to have to talk about the F word. (laughs) We're going to have to talk about the F word because this past week was chock full of a lot of data. Uh, A new measurement of inflation has been invented by the Federal Reserve. Um, First, I've heard of it last week. I think, Joe, you ran across the article about this that came out in the Wall Street Journal maybe yes, a I few did. days before the, the, the consumer price index number came out. And that new term or the new uh, data point that the Fed has created is called supercore inflation. That sounds like so, a song, kind of like, like, kind of like super the, the band that brought you transitory inflation they're bringing you super core inflation i mean i mean is is Sorry, Rick james going to be looking for royalties from the grave on on super core so i just want to give our listeners just a quick just a quick look back on the different data points that the fed had has been using over time to make decisions on monetary policy well way back in the day going back to 2022 and all the years before that the Federal Reserve would use the core PCE. That was the data point that they would use to make determinations on inflation and what kind of adjustments they need to make make on monetary policy. And the core PCE was focused on basically the household good to baskets minus food and fuel. 
as we got into around the middle part of 2022, all of a sudden they seem to have changed the main data point they started to look at, and they were looking at CPI or the Consumer Price Index, which included goods and services, food and fuel, which is what we all feel as consumers out in the world spending money buying goods and services. Now, as of this past week, all of a sudden, this new data point, this new calculation that they have created called the SuperCore, which now strips out food, fuel, and now housing. So they're literally only focusing on goods inflation and service inflation. Now, I'm trying to figure out, and I've had conversation with a, another buddy of mine who's a portfolio manager of where do they come up with this? Is this the, the Federal Reserve just moving the goalposts again? And I'm trying to wrap my brain around, did they create this super core as a way to justify decreasing the level of interest rate increases going from a half of 1% to a quarter of 1% and or are they doing this to justify them maybe stopping interest rate increases sooner? So I'm going to throw it out there. Jeff, well, thoughts, Joe, thoughts? Well, once again, and Jeff and I have talked about it, it all leads into the my theory and, and, and the, the term for the years, hun- handicapping the unhandicappable, because they keep changing the goalposts. You know, it, you have a market that actually is very tough to – you can never predict the market – but from a portfolio management standpoint and what we see all the time, it, it, like you said, Kyle, they keep changing the goalposts. Was, it was PC, now CPI, well, now SuperCore. Super but what's next? What's next report? The Super Duper Core or the SuperCore++ plus plus, where they strip something else out? I mean, wh- what's going on here? Can we stick okay. to one main data point? Uh, all right. So I, I don't agree that they're moving the goalpost. I mean, the goalpost remains the same. This 2% fantasy, right? Um, <laughs> fantasy, what, what, good word. What their, Great word. What they're, you know, I, I, I did, up until today, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I must have missed this somewhere along, along the lines this week, that I did not see that uh, particular article about this new super core measurement. I've never heard – the, the, uh, I didn't hear Chairman Powell mention it in the uh, speech he gave on the last interest rate increase. I, I believe it's it's clear to me and some of the Fed speak that we heard in the week just passed. I can't remember the governor that was out delivering the speech, but I think I, I had said I think I'd said a few weeks ago. I think I'd said that the on the show after we got that unemployment number, which was just a couple of days after they raised rates, the Federal Reserve that had the Federal Reserve known that that uh, unemployment number was going to come in as strong as it was, would they have gone ahead and done 50 basis points? And that that was a statement that I made. And then, sure enough, one of the Federal Reserve governors said just that in one of his speeches, that had had he known, he would have been pushing more for a 50 basis point increase. So, you know why they want to develop this 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 uh, new measure? Heck, if I know, I think I'd have to agree I'll tell with, you why. with what Kyle said. They're just trying to find a way to you know, potentially you know, to justify. Uh, I don't know, stopping raising rates sooner based on this new measure. Well, at the end of the day, uh, everybody's inflation rate is different. Everybody's depending on what basket of goods and services you are consuming 
if you do a lot of traveling, <laughs> your 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 consumer price index is going to be much much higher than someone that doesn't do any traveling at all. Because mm-hmm. traveling involves what? A lot of services. You've got car rentals. You've got airfare. You've got hotels. Hotel. You've got restaurants, right? That that level of, of uh, inflation is totally different than somebody, you know, staying at home or going to the beach here in Corpus on spring break rather than getting on a plane and flying to Daytona Beach for spring break, right? So everyone's inflation rate is different but we have the, the numbers we have on TV those are the ones that seem uh, are from the from the government the ones that drive all these other decisions and I'm going to stop there and we come back I'll continue okay and we'll do that after this you're listening to money wise with Davidson capital management your money wise guys will be back after this Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from last week. And before we went to commercial break, we were just talking about... Consumer price index, you know, that data came out, the producer price index, this new calculation that uh, was discussed this past week uh, called the super core inflationary rate, which strips out volatile food, fuel, and now strips out housing. So it focuses strictly on goods and services. And during the commercial break, I mentioned to Jeff, I said, you want to know the reason why they're now focusing on super core? Because super core is around 4%. 4.1 to be exact. So it's a lot easier to get from 4.1% to 2%, which I agree with you, Jeff, this 2% fantasy that the Federal Reserve has from a price stability standpoint that we're going to be getting to any time in the near future is, I hate to say it's laughable because we know certain parts of inflation are going to be sticky for primarily in the fuel arena due to the Biden administration's hatred for the uh, for the hydrocarbon industry. How about they hate balloons, weather balloons? But <laughs> well, they'll yeah, shoot sorry. them down. They'll how, shoot them how, down. How, how about how about car insurance? You know, how much has everyone's car insurance gone up? It's true. You know, my my car insurance was up more than ten percent over the last renewal. How about property insurance? Uh, maybe, pardon me, property taxes. You know, how much is that? Uh, well, because everyone's values or their hopes has gone up. Okay, well, are, is the government going to, is the, are the local taxing entities going to be quick to lower them back the other way when we have, when we have mortgage rates, you know, over 7% here probably in the next 90 days? That's just a prediction on my part. Yeah, we'll see, you know, I, I don't think so. Um, I, I still go back to this. Everybody's, you know, rate of inflation is different, but what's driving the markets right now is, what is that unemployment number, and what is this? What's that CPI and/or producer price index number? And so, what do we had here in the last few weeks? We had this huge employment number, 
And now we had CPI, Consumer Price Index, which came in hotter than expected, and the Producer Price Index was even hotter than what was expected. Now, the markets... They, I would say they took it in stride, Jeff. The markets. The market was flat the last week. I mean, for the markets to be for the markets to be flat is a little bit surprising. Now, never underestimate the market's ability to ignore numbers that should have moved the market that may that will suddenly move them in the weeks ahead. Right? Just because they didn't move them this week doesn't mean that they won't move them next week or the week after. Now, I can't. Ex- I'm just as confused as a lot, you know, as we hear from a lot of these money managers that have been doing it just as long as we have. What one of the most common words they use when they're talking, when they're when they're describing their outlook on the market is confusing. It's very confusing to have these kinds of statistics and the Federal Reserve now. Some of the governors coming out and talking about a 50 basis point move at the next meeting, which is still a month away. But the markets really aren't re- haven't reacted that much to it. They are down. Interest rates have come up. Uh, the 10-year Treasury, when it opened on Friday, was very near 4% yield. And it pulled highest, back from highest, that. Yeah, it pulled back from November. that. Pulled back from that by the end of the day. But if we get another four-handle on the 10-year Treasury, that's going to trigger the algorithms. The algorithms meaning the you know, the computerized trading algorithms that say, oh, 4% treasury yields equals sell stocks. We saw this last fall, right? We but saw here's this. The question. Okay. Here, go but on. here's the question, Jeff. So I don't necessarily disagree that we get rates on the 10-year treasury back over 4% that that could trigger the algorithms to start doing some more – to do some more selling to the downside, but with the way that the markets took things in stride with the hotter PPI and CPI data, you know, do we have investors that have been sitting on plenty of cash for months and months and months now, just looking to buy these dips and that, yeah, we might get some dips for a couple of days, but that the market is going to be doing more of a cha-cha, two steps forward, two steps back because we do have so many folks out there with dry powder ready to take advantage of dip buying because we're starting to hear more and more about dip buying from these managers. And then also this past week, have you heard some of these pundits talk about the no landing economy, not even a soft landing or hard landing, just no landing. It's it's the same people that, that, that are 80% invested in stocks that need to keep it up so that they can, so so that they can, so that they can, yeah, they're talking their book. Exactly. They're exactly. They're talking. Look, the the, the one thing about you, the market markets that's you, when the person buys, you don't know if that if that person or that organization is a renter of that stock or an investor in that stock. That that we don't know. And I hate to put you on the spot, Kyle, but what's the volume been like this week? Uh, I, I was just pulling it up as you were talking. There's a lot of renting. I mean, okay. as we talked a couple of weeks ago, where we had three days in a row of above average, above daily moving average volume on the buy side, that has since gone away. So it's 
now every single day since that happened two weeks ago, all the volume, both buy and sell, has been below average, which tells me traders are going to trade. And the interesting thing is, is we have been in an extremely tight trading window the entire month of February so far. Now, on Friday, it closed right at the bottom support level of that range. But we're talking such a narrow support and resistance level since, you know, since the beginning of the month. Um, so we are in this cha-cha, two steps forward, two steps back, two steps just, forward, two steps back. Just to clarify, when we're talking about renters of stocks, we're talking about people that are trading. Um, they're not actually long-term investors. And, and so you don't know how much of the 6.2% gain in the S&P 500 this year are are. Uh, owners that are that are in it for the next one, two, three, five years. Every time I hear one of these guys tell me, I heard I heard somebody on fr- on Friday on CNBC tell me that when they buy a stock, that they intend to hold it for a minimum of six years. So, are you mm-hmm. kidding me? <laughs> I mean, what really? Ron Barron. What about Ron Barron? His, well, his typical uh, his this guy, this, this guy, yeah, but this guy that was on there got called out by one of the other guys that said. You know, I don't know why we really listen to this guy. I love him, but he's just wrong. You know, he's just wrong more than well, he's well, right. If he's a man, if he's well, a say, yeah, if you're if you're holding on, if you're if you're if you're holding on to a stock and you're gar- and you're saying I'm not going to sell this stock for six years, I mean, come on. Well, uh, guess there's what? time to you know, you know the markets change, but the markets change enough that holding on to a stock for six years is nearly impossible. I don't think there's a single stock in our portfolio. That we've that we've held more than maybe three or four years. I don't think we've got one that we've had in the portfolio for six. Well, and but, we also profits as they continue to appreciate. We don't just let it to continue to compound and get way out of whack from an allocation. Standpoint. But you know what that also tells me when that when that when that manager says that, that sounds like a passive investment strategy. And I, you know, don't get me started on passive investment well, strategies. If, if you're looking at a manager, also you can look at their turnover ratio and see. What percentage yeah, is being turned out? But most of these, these yeah, most of these guys, most of these guys don't have anything in publicly available that you can see actually. Unless they're, they're, they're managing a mutual fund. Unless they're managing a mutual fund or ETF. And most most mutual fund guys, you don't. Most most of the people that we see on the financial entertainment press, for those of our listeners that watch it a lot, are renters of stock. They are not investors in stock. They are renters. They We're won't tell you that. They won't tell you that. They're not investors. They're renters of stocks. You don't. And one other point is you do not see, at least in my opinion, as many portfolio managers from your classic mutual fund institutions coming on anymore. The Oppenheimers, the MFSs. Joey Terranova's on there all the time, and he works for, for Virtus. But for they are occasionally, but not to the extent that I think three or four years ago we used to see them, you know. Oh, so, I agree. Even some of the shows that they have in the financial entertainment press, they're all designed for options trading, hot money, the sexy parts of Wall Street, right. the trading aspect, not not you fast know, the money, it's bad money. money, fast money, that, man. That we work, right? Yeah, that that we work that we work with, uh, and that's right. And I think I think they need to have a better balance of having some longer term managers. I mean, yeah, they'll bring a Ron Barron on from time to time, and they'll bring some some longer-term managers that have been doing it for a 
extremely long period of time. I wish they'd bring more of those folks on instead of some of these younger folks that have just started a firm that actually don't manage any money. And you can see that in their ADV, but they're asking them about their stock picks when they don't make any investment decisions, in their portfolio. Uh, that just doesn't make sense to me, it's particularly some of the, the folks they bring out on their Friday not Friday, but their lunch shows. There's a couple guys in particular that have been in business for a hot minute, they hardly have anything under management, and they don't actually manage anything or make any decisions. They outsource it to sub-advisors. So why they have any opinion on stock is beside, is beside I have no idea. And they also get paid to be on the show, so it doesn't make any sense. Anyways, I'll get off my soapbox. Let's take a commercial break. you listen to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So, Joe, I know during the commercial break, you know, a uh, the right-hand man to the oracle, and the oracle being Warren Buffett out of Omaha, uh, Charlie Munger, very wise, long-term investor. He's been at it uh, for a very long time. Had his opportunity to take a few more shots at the uh, cryptocurrency markets, and let's just say he used some four-letter words that they had to uh, that they couldn't print. Uh, but he has a very strong opinion of cryptocurrency. And I actually had a had a Zoom meeting with a client uh, this past week, and he asked me, you know, what our opinions were of cryptocurrency. And I said, I'll leave it to Charlie Munger because he pretty much sums up our thoughts. Um, when he called it rat poison covered in dog excrement, yeah, <laughs> I would uh, I would totally agree. I, I think Bitcoin is Charlie Munger's personal pinata. He just loves to <laughs> whack it with a stick all the time every time he's on CNBC. And I get a kick out of it. I really do because – Time and time again, we've talked about investing and not having more than 5% of any one stock, or maybe if you have Bitcoin, not having more than 5%. And it's great to see somebody that's uh, that uh, that wise uh, been around the block that many times bring that up. So, his disdain for cryptocurrencies is as high as our disdain for annuities. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Ours might be even higher. So, but 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 it's true. I, I mean, cryptocurrency. The way he puts it best, it's it's just it's it's not even asset class. It's a device for gambling. That's all it is. It's a device for gambling and speculation. And we do know, you know, we were kind of going on our rant in the last segment talking about a lot of the folks that they put in the financial entertainment press or a bunch of renters of stocks. They're not long-term owners. You know, Jeff, I, I, I love your point where it's like, you know, I'd really like them to throw up their, their actual performance. You know, they're talking about all these stocks. 
They're talking about all the things, these moves they've made in their portfolio. You know, why don't you throw up their year-to-day performance and see, you know, if they're worth their salt and all these conversations they're having about stocks. And, you know, I've got a bone to pick when they put out some of these people that betray themselves to be money managers. And when you dig into their firm's ADV, they don't manage anything. They outsource it to other managers. So the fact that they're asking them an opinion about a stock what what does their opinion have to do with anything? They're not pulling the trigger or making a decision with real client assets in real time, living by their decisions. They're having to answer to to, to their clients of someone else's decision. So anyway, so, so what does this mean to investors? You so know, what, what does this mean to our listeners with what we've gone through so far this year in the markets? Well, I'm I'm I want to kind of narrow it down to what's happened here in the last few weeks. What's happened here in the last few weeks, in my opinion, is uh, though inflation, some of the inflation statistics continue to show some slowing, I don't know that it's slowed enough to get the Federal Reserve to truly be, be thinking about stopping their interest rate raising uh, plans. Um, I think the, the statistics that have come out here in the last few weeks have has, has raised the probabilities that they're going to go more than what the market may be expecting right now in March. But we still have uh, another unemployment number and another CPI number and another PPI number between now and the time that they meet again, which I think is the next to the last week of March. Uh, the market continues t- to me. It, it, I think I heard this. Uh, well, I probably shouldn't say that because some people will then – then try to claim that I'm excessively bearish. So I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say. We'll never say that. But I, but I, I think the, I think the market to some extent, um, has ignored the numbers here of late in the continuing hope that there, that this, uh, uh, did not overuse the word fantasy, uh, today, but I'm going to use it again this fantasy that they expect interest rates to uh, be cut by the end of this year. And uh, again, a complete fantasy. And I think a lot of renters of stocks have run the markets up this year. Uh, and they've, they've run it up far too fast. And the statistics don't support at this, at this moment in time for the S&P to be up, you know, 6% in six weeks. I, we, I was asking you earlier, Kyle, about the uh, uh, earnings numbers, and there's not anything impressive in those earnings numbers, right? No. We're, we're, we're below where we would normally be in terms of beats. Now, have we got some stocks in our portfolio that have just knocked the cover off the ball and had tremendous huge moves. Yeah, we had another stock on Friday do that. It just shows how many people on were Thursday. short and went <laughs> on, Thursday. on Thursday. We had these double digit moves up in these stocks. It just shows how short, you know, these these folks getting caught in a short squeeze in, in uh, some although, of these. Although I will say the stock on Friday, though, uh, their numbers were just mind-blowing. Well, what what they j- did as far as, as, far as revenue and asset growth. Yes, it's an insurance stock first segment. Jeff was talking about insurance premiums going up. Insurance companies are going to make money when interest rates go up, then you have inflation. That's just generally well, and speaking, also that's this- how it is. This so. company has really cornered the market of very niche insurance, and their website is pages upon pages of the, of the some of the 
most unusual things you can get insured for all these very special and specified situations. They're kind of the, the leaders in that market space. And so when you start looking through their numbers and all their different market segments, I'm talking 60% growth, 70% growth. One segment had over 100% growth year over year. I mean, you want to talk about a company that just put out numbers that just tore the cover off the ball and tore it down to its core was that company. So obviously with that huge move that shows the level of shorts uh, that were shorting the stock as they had to go in and cover it when they put out just fantastic numbers, same thing happened with one of our uh, healthcare stocks on Thursday, same situation. But, you know, you're going to see that. But back to Jeff's point, you know, we've had 82% of the companies in the S&P 500 have reported their fourth quarter 2022 earnings. And, you know, you're looking at 69%, you know, you're you're looking at 68% of the companies have reported actual EPS above estimates. So, 68% of the companies reporting EPS growth above estimates is below the five-year average of 77% and the 10-year average of 73%. Now, that's on earnings per share. And when you look at revenues, you know, you're looking at revenues <clears throat> um, at a 65% level above estimates, which, again, is below the five-year average for the S&P 500 of of revenue earnings above estimates and then the 10-year average it's slightly above the 10-year average of 63 percent but when you look at the earnings growth now we've seen earnings growth actually be negative and actually decline for the fourth quarter it got a little bit better after this week's earnings came out but it's still a negative 4.7 percent as far as overall earnings growth from from year over year. So this right now, if four, if a negative 4.7% earnings growth for the S&P 500 is it for the fourth quarter of 2022, it's going to be the second lowest uh, or second lowest earnings growth that's actually in the negative since the third quarter of 2020. And what were we dealing with, gentlemen, in the third quarter of 2020? Well, we were dealing with COVID. COVID. The market had also down supply chain. But yeah. the market, and, you know, the market also made a big move from March to that that particular time period. What was the other thing that was happening? We had zero percent interest rates, right? Yeah. That's not the that's not the environment that we're in now, and well, we've seen interest interest rates ticked up this week, and you know, we were talking about, and we have been talking about here last the last few shows about increasing our asset allocations to to bonds. You know, where we were going to pick stop, pick spots to increase our allocations to stocks. And we picked a few spots here in the first six weeks of the year to increase our allocations to stocks. But overall, um, if my memory serves me correctly, we've increased our allocations to stocks from the beginning of the year to currently by maybe a little less than 10%. Yeah. Um, and it's it's we, about 8%. So we're up to like 43% invested in stocks right now in a moderate asset asset allocation portfolio, which is the majority of the assets that we manage at Davidson Capital Management. We have done a little bit of bond buying, uh, mostly in new accounts. Um, But what, to me, what's happened here in the last few weeks, and I I said this to y'all, to the guys here in the last few days, 
these statistics that keep coming, you know, these higher inflation numbers, that huge employment number, and the market's not really reacting to it, it gives me reason for pause. And it's like, you know, at this time, I don't really want to increase much of anything because I think interest rates are going to continue to tick higher. And if interest rates continue to tick higher, there'll be a better time for us to add more to our portfolio later this quarter, maybe into the second quarter. And until until we get some idea of you know what's the Fed's next move, there's really no reason to increase our asset allocation to stocks with this overhang of these most recent numbers to me that are not stock friendly. What one thing? And I'll, I'll leave just, it at that. Okay. Well, one thing we're talking about why. Okay. I think we're coming over a break. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to hold that thought, Joe. Yeah. Get the other side of the break. All right. Well, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, Joe, before we went to break, we cut you off. Uh, Jeff's point was just talking about still kind of being patient in and around here on adding any money to the fixed income side of our portfolios due to interest rates, you know, as of Friday, at the very beginning of of Friday's markets, we actually saw the 10-year treasury approaching a level it hasn't seen since November of last year. And so, you know, if rates are going to continue to to tick higher, we'll obviously kind of just hang back in the weeds and be able to capture even higher yield to maturities as these interest rates go higher. But then also on the stock side, as we've talked on past programs all year of our strategy that we have, that we've instituted and that this is the time to just be moving very patiently, being very methodical, not getting caught up in FOMO or fear of missing out um, because we've been stuck in a trading range the entire month of February. So what was the point that you wanted to make before? Well, no, I was just, I was doing a bit of education this, this early this week for a 401k client. And we're looking at inflation, you know, going back from the inflation rate, going back from 2002 to 2021, it was about 2.3%. But if you look at historically going back 50 years, going from 1970 to this year, inflation has been 3.93%. So eventually, even if, yes, eventually if you could buy, Corporates, or you could buy U.S. Treasuries at four, four and a half percent. Eventually, you're going to have to out, you're going to have to outpace inflation by a couple percent. So maybe, you know, it, positioning your portfolio either fifty fifty stocks and bonds or sixty forty, you're still going to have to have a percentage of that portfolio. We're going to be able to have to beat inflation. And maybe we're just seeing some people that still do want to. Hopefully, they're buying stocks for the long run, realizing they're still buying them at a discount compared to the the all time high. And positioning their portfolios that way, but well, I just I, I have to remind myself, inflation historically is three point nine three percent. Then reminding myself also, where's the Fed coming up with two percent when over the last well, fifty years I mean, it's been almost four? Yeah, 
Exactly. I mean, that's that's right. been my question because post-World War II, you're right, Joe, inflation has been well above 3% post-World War II. But to your point, I think the point that you're trying to make, Joe, is I know some investors who have just been whipsawed by the markets, particularly since the financial crisis, and now they're able to finally get a hold of interest rates that they haven't had access to in over 15 years. I know for us as one of the oldest bond managers in Texas – is that we also have access to these same yield to maturities and coupon rates and bonds we haven't had access to. But for the investor thinking, you know what, why do I want to deal with any volatility in the stock market? I'm just going to put everything in bonds. I think that's your point is that you can't do that if you want any type of capital appreciation because monetary inflation has been running well over 3% going back to World War II. And so if you're locking in four and a quarter, four and a half percent total return in your bond portfolio, but long-term inflation is over three, your net real return is about one and a half percent. And so that's something, you know, minus inflation. And we've always discussed that inflation is that silent killer of purchasing power, but you don't, you don't see it on a daily basis. You know, when you have money in a CD, I have 100000 in a CD. When it matures, you get that 100000 back. But what it doesn't tell you is how much purchasing power you have lost. So don't confuse return of principal with return of purchasing power. And that's something that we've talked about on this program going back 16-plus years that we've been doing this show because inflation is that silent killer. It's like CO2. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. But it can kill you. And so... I think, again, to your point, Joe, is you cannot completely eliminate stocks in your portfolio. Now, you can definitely have a much smaller allocation, and you can definitely have a much more broad-based, diversified basket of investments. I know we've talked about on this program, if you just examine the stock side of our portfolios as a balanced manager, we are very much balanced between growth and value. And if you really take a hard, deep look at our portfolios, we're primarily focused in GARP-type equities, which is growth at a reasonable price, a lower price earning multiple that typically are paying dividends. And so if you can have a stock portfolio with dividend yields north of two, be getting over four plus percent in your fixed income side of your portfolio, any capital appreciation you get from the equity side of your portfolio, it's just going to be that extra little bit of push to give you growth potential in your portfolio as you're withdrawing assets in retirement. Right now in the bond in the bond side of the portfolio, another kind of just add on to this is someone that might want to be completely out of stocks and be in nothing but bonds. Well, what bonds, which bonds are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, are you talking about corporate bonds? Are you talking about government bonds? Are you talking about municipal bonds? Uh, there's the the bond marketplace right now is is in a weird situation. We have this uh, we have this inverted yield curve where the shorter maturities have higher yields than longer maturities, and so the other reasons why we're, we're we're holding off a little bit here on on building out the bond portfolios on the longer end of the yield curve, meaning out you know three years, four years, five years is because we're making more money to be in a money market fund. We're, we're at a 4.5% yield, basically, in a money market fund right now. I can't get 4.5% out three, four years in a, in a investment-grade corporate bond. So it doesn't mm-hmm. pay to go out that far 
with with the yield curve inverted the way it is. Now that's going to change. You know, inverted yield curves eventually revert back to their mean, but right now having the having uh, the the bond portion of the portfolio allocated to basically bonds that mature this year and next year we don't have anything that beyond that matures beyond the year 2024 um, we're we're getting the 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 yields to maturity on those instruments right now are slightly more than we're getting in our money market fund uh, not appreciably more than we're getting in our money market fund. And, and that inversion may get worse if the Federal Reserve continues on their interest rate raising uh, path. Uh, so our rebuilding of the bond portfolio, because if our listeners have been listening to us for a long time, they know that we, we took it apart at the beginning of last year, which is a big contributing factor to our tremendous outperformance in the bond side of the portfolio last year. But uh, you know, this year we're going to be very measured about building out that portion of the portfolio also. So next week, a ton of economic news, including FOMC minutes, and that's going to be very interesting to see what the It'll minutes are from, from the last meeting. That can definitely be market moving. And, again, if you'd like to take advantage of portfolio review and analysis, 800-275-2162. Call your money wise, guys. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of our break, so we'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise, guys, we'll be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com if you missed the first hour of money wise you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past money wise programs you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at DavidsonCap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, it's about time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for your politeness. Well, as we as we like to use and utilize uh, the second hour of every weekend's Money Wise program, really going into investor education. And just, again, the continuing education that all investors need to be paying attention to because with the multitude of investment choices, the multitude of sales outlets, I should say, uh, to be buying different financial products, um, we feel it's our duty having a voice and having this radio show to, to continue to provide that, that education. And there was an article 
that we've had for some time. We've talked about it on past shows, but it's always good to to reiterate. And it's a conversation I know that I have with prospective clients when it comes to investing. Um, and the the title of the article is the best investment advice ever. <laughs> now, there's so much different advice out there, different guidance, different forms and levels of education out there. Um, you know, looking at this article, there's a very old saying that I know we have used from day one and, of course, with us, uh, you know, being in this, having Davidson Capital Management for more than 25 years and, and again, this radio show going on now in our 10th year. Um, looking at, at rule number one for the best investment advice ever, and that first rule is never lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. And I believe that uh, that was one of Warren Buffett's famous advice. And, of course, Warren Buffett being one of the richest men in the world, um, I think uh, it's good It's good words to live by. And, and when I sit down with prospective clients, the one the one area, again, of education I like to focus on is teaching a prospective client that it's not as much how well you do on the upside when the market is going up. It's how shallow you keep your hole on the downside. It's it's whoever plays the best defense is what's really going to build long-term wealth and longevity of a portfolio. Rule This rule number one, don't you think it's kind of unrealistic to say never lose money? Well, and, and, and again, investors need to keep in mind there's a difference between realized losses and unrealized losses or paper losses. Uh, maybe rule number one should should read more like never put all your eggs in one basket. Never But, put, but define never, that. Okay. Define that a little okay. bit more, okay, eggs in one basket. Never put 100% of your money in one asset class. How's that? Okay. Never put 100% of your money in stocks. Give us an asset class. Like, are Never. you talking sector specific, like all in real estate investment trusts or all in the material sector or all in technology? I think I think really the rule number one to me, and it kind of goes along the same lines as what you're talking about with keeping the hole shallow, is there's no, no such thing as never lose money. I mean, every investment – we have never had an investment decision that we've made – in the 25 years as Davidson Capital Management, every investment decision that we've made has not always made money. Some of those investment decisions have lost money. There isn't a single person on the planet that's made an investment decision that hasn't lost money at one time or the other. The the really successful people in investing never lose a lot of money. Now, keeping a that lot whole of money, shallow. keeping the whole shallow, as you were saying, and two thousand and eight is is a great example of keeping the hole the, the hole as shallow as possible because we were never a hundred percent invested in stocks that year, and we were also reducing stocks as that year went on, and so we 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 didn't suffer the thirty five our clients' portfolios didn't suffer the thirty five forty. 50% losses that the investors that we saw come to us in 2009 and 2010, and we asked them, you know, how did you do in 2008? And they said, well, I lost 40% or I lost more than 40%. We knew right then and there that they had way too much money in stocks, if not their entire portfolio in stocks, and it wasn't being managed 
properly, obviously. That's that's a key. It wasn't actively managed. It was, an, again, that set it and forget it mentality, that set it and forget it portfolio. And so the the rule number one, this never lose money, and rule number two, never forget rule number one, is all fine and good, but it's not realistic because if you're going to have a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds, cash, and all different types of asset classes, some of those asset classes aren't going to make money in a particular year. Some will. Uh, some will be more successful than others. But I think it's unrealistic to expect to never to lose money in, in investing. Because if, if rule number one, never lose money, that means you're never going to take risk. Which means you're going to be you're going to own CDs. Sorry to take your your thunder away there. You're going to own government bonds and hold them to maturity, or you're going to own CDs or cash, or you're going to have cash. Well, that I don't know too many investors that can reach their retirement goals uh, just by being in cash or government bonds. Well, and, and again, when you are invested and you're invested in the stock market, even the bond market. When you look at an unrealized gain and loss report, if you're showing some unrealized losses, those are paper losses. Those are losses that you have not taken. It's just on paper. It's just numbers. But that loss can be will become realized if you decide to sell out. And what happened to a lot of investors in 2008 is they watched the ride all the way down. And then they got to their maximum pain threshold, and what did they do? They sold. And for a lot of investors, after they did that sell and the selling they did, they have yet to get back in. That's why we continue to face the very thin market conditions, the whipsawing of the markets, because there's fewer and fewer participants, because they still have not gotten back in, because they're still licking and and taking care of their wounds from 2008, because they sold out and turned those unrealized losses to realized losses. But if they had a proper allocation and having their assets actively managed, they wouldn't have suffered as much pain and distress in their portfolio as we have seen doing our portfolio reviews and analysis of prospective clients. So, well, we're going to pause right there. We're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our investor education and talking about an article titled The Best Investment Advice Ever. And, you know, again, the old Warren Buffett saying, you know, rule number one, never lose money. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. And us just kind of really discussing how that's kind of unrealistic. Um, Because like Jeff, like you said in the last segment, you're going to run into some type of losses, be it unrealized or realized losses, at some point in time in your investing career, unless you're invested in cash, which isn't an investment, CDs, or government bonds. You know, you have to take a certain level of risk. You have to assume a certain level of risk to have the potential for capital appreciation and growth of your assets to meet your retirement goals or for whatever goals that you're saving for. And, Dad, I know that you wanted to, the big dog wanted to eat a little bit and had something to add to, to what 
we were just talking about. Well, I think I originally said this to you when you guys came into the business. Oh, you've been saying this as long as I can remember. These were basic rules of investing. I I honestly think this is a little bit of a Will Rogers comment. I'm not so sure that Warren Buffett didn't steal this from 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 Will Rogers. He never met a man he didn't like. And 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 what this means, you know, this is you know, this will be my 37th year, starting my 38th year of being a portfolio manager, not counting the four years as a broker and one year in graduate school. So you can add all that up, but. When I see this, what this really means to me is never lose big money. Never take big losses because you can't come back from them, whether it's financially or even psychologically. Hold on. Let me stop you right there. You just hit an important point. Psychologically. It's the psychological part part of this. Um, A lot of people get in investing they get in the game as jim kramer calls it it's not a game but they get in the game and they have some moderate success and then they start building their bet they start pushing pushing the chips and as they build their bet they will get to the point where they lose now to be successful the one thing that i have learned in my 37 plus years to be successful in investing you have to invest on a regular basis. You just can't do it once in a while. And if and you need to take a number of positions because as you take positions, your batting average gets better. And to be successful, it isn't participating when the markets go up, as you said. It's not losing as much going down. So I believe my personal success as an investor has come with my ability to sell I think I'm a lot better seller than I am a buyer. And, and and one thing that we say in this office, and this was definitely true in 2008, and of course, you know, this was prior to me joining the family's firm back. Jeff, I know you were here back during the dot com bubble burst, bursting of the of the dot coms. Um, is that when certain when the markets and times just don't make sense? When what's up is down and what's down is up, when there's times where the market doesn't make sense, it never hurts to get more liquid and lay in the weeds. I know that's an old saying, Dad, that I've heard come out of your mouth for years, way before I even joined the family business, that it's okay sometimes to raise liquidity and lay in the weeds until things get a little clearer. Now, it's important for all investors to understand you're never going to have 100% clarity. The waters are never going to be 100% clear. There's always going to be some level of cloudiness, but in situations like the dot-coms, like 2008, uh, even like how you know how the markets have, have started off the past couple of years, um, things get a little clouded and get a little bit more whipsaw and sometimes it's better to just kind of raise some cash and lay back until things start to pan out and make a little bit more sense because that's what we've been dealing with is some just counterintuitiveness that we've been experiencing in the market for the past couple of years. You know, and this led me to what we were talking about earlier, rule number one, never lose money, never forget rule number one, this is rule number two. Well, if we were in an environment where government bonds was paying 9%, then a lot of people would be attracted to that. And and there and there's been times in my career when you could do that. And so there's a riskless return that would be that would be historically a good return. Unfortunately, that was occurring when 
Inflation was at 12, 13, 14. <laughs> so you were losing, losing to just inflation. like today. Mm-hmm. Just like today if you put too much in bonds versus what each individual person's inflation rate is. But what this really says is what y'all were talking about is that if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket, if you're going to step out there and take that level of risk, then you are potentially putting yourself in a position to lose a substantial amount of your money and not have enough money to get back into the game, whatever game it is you're playing. But, so, but again, but again, we don't look at the market as no, a game. No, it's not a game. It's not a game at all. But if you are, if you're a trader, I would say a trader views the market somewhat as a game. I'd agree. If you're an investor, it's a serious game, and so. Each individual has to decide what type of, is he a trader, am I an investor, or is this trading money, is this investing money? So there's various pools that you could be doing. But one thing that you cannot do is you cannot sustain large losses and be a successful investor or trader. So whatever methods you use to reduce your losses, your risk, your risk, you're going to have to take that. And if you don't determine a system that allows you to do that, you are not going to be successful in the long term. Absolutely. And, and, and see, that's the thing, Dad, is I think for some investors, maybe the traders that view the market as more of a game, more of action, more Vegas style, they have a couple of big wins where they knock it out of the park and that boosts their confidence. That helps them boost their their maybe their trading and investing ego psychologically. That's when they start pushing over pushing the chips further and further over the line and bigger amounts of chips. Then they strike out. Then they take that loss, and then their the psychological aspect of it might be a loss so bad that they say to heck with the stock market. I'm never getting involved in it again. And what we've always advocated and always tried to teach is about a proper balance, about diversification. As Jeff said, not putting all your eggs in one basket, spreading out that risk, or to use a technical term, spreading out your beta. But you can't just spread it out and forget it. You have to continue to actively manage it, actively monitor it. And if you don't, then you need to work with a firm that's going to do that. I I learned many years ago that I was not a successful trader. Trading was not something that I was good at. I was good at looking at a longer picture. It fit my personality better to be an investor, plus by taking a longer-term view, thinking in terms in the stock market of actually owning the company that I was buying, I found that that was more successful. And I learned that as a broker. I I, I felt comfortable with that. What I didn't feel comfortable with was potential clients or new clients that had to have action because I don't necessarily think Wall Street is the best place to get action. I think you would be better off to go to Vegas because it doesn't require that much thinking if you need action, if you like to bet on football games. with If you need that fix. If you need that. And there are people that need that. But it, Wall Street can be a very dangerous place for people that need that type of fix. I have not run into that many successful people who have traded the market. 
I've run into many successful investors, very few successful traders. Well, and I think some uh, some other points you made just a few minutes ago when we talk about risk capacity, about taking a big hit to your portfolio, and again, for continuing investor education, the older you get, the closer you get to your retirement, I guess, date and time as far as your age, your risk capacity gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, you know, and I've run into people who have have very large risk, you know, very small risk tolerance, their personal aversion to risk, but they have huge risk capacity. And when you run into that situation, it's really they have their money invested very lazily. It's, it's very lazy money. It's very 4 and 5% returns when they should be taking advantage of their age. So the younger you are, the greater risk capacity you have. And so you have to really marry risk tolerance and risk capacity into one. Um, and that's, again, something else that we, that we try to teach. So just understand, as you get older, your risk capacity gets smaller, and you have to have your portfolio managed and allocated in a way that reflects that risk capacity. What you see on CNBC, and we don't spend that much time watching any of the other channels, but what we see on CNBC is a parade of traders, Parade of people looking for action, daily action, weekly action, fast money, fast money. You know, everything is geared towards trading. trading. Mm-hmm. That is that segment of the market. That is not a segment that Davidson Capital Management has ever participated in, or would feel comfortable being in. And so, when we sit here and we talk about what we see. We don't necessarily feel that that type of program serves the public to the extent it could. That's right. Well, with that, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. So we'll take the break. When we come back, we'll be continuing our investor education, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to cover here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing talking about the best investment advice ever article that comes from Market Watch and the Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, Dad, I, as you were talking in the last segment, you know, you mentioned Jim Cramer's name. And I know there's a segment on his show that he loves to do where people call in and say, am I diversified? And they give him five stock names. And he'll either anoint it as being you're diversified or you're not diversified. And when I watch that, I, to me, it seems like it's a disservice to the investing public because what he is basically um, validating is that it's okay to put 20% of your money in one particular stock position, to hold five individual stocks, and as long as those five individual stocks are in five different industry sectors, then you're okay, you're safe. And I think that is some of the most dangerous advice you could possibly give with with his type of background and acumen as a money manager, or as a hedge fund manager, I should say. Well, I, I, I don't agree with it. Dangerous. Uh, it's dangerous if you don't watch your 
eggs real close if you only got five. Uh, <laughs> you're making I you're mean, making big bets on the, five in the, companies. In the beginning, in the beginning when I created uh, the philosophy, uh, it became apparent to me that I didn't ever want more than five percent in anything because I learned very quickly that if I bought five percent uh, of your assets in one individual well, position, yes, if I bought ten positions. 3.5 of them were going to be losers, but I loved all 10. Mm-hmm. And so when I got it out to 20, then I'm going to have six losers in normal markets. Mm-hmm. And the key was having the six losers not be big enough losers to overset the profits that were in the other 14. Well, if I'm Jim Cramer and five is my diversification, I sure hope it's not my six losers because then my every five those whole five positions would be losers. So to me that was not enough positions to be diversified. That was very concentrated. And very. to be that concentrated, I don't want you to think you're diversified. You are not diversified with five positions. I mean, you might you are, be you might be diversified in the sense that you're in five different industry sectors, but you're making a very large bet on one company in that and, industrial sector. And I'll tell sector. you something else. If you limit yourself to that few of positions, you're either going to do extremely well versus the market, or you're going to do extremely badly. You're, you're not going to do average. You're either going to do real well or real bad. So it's either a home run or a strikeout. Now, you can't build a business on real bad. Mm-hmm. Now, he was successful as a hedge fund manager because he was a trader. He was not an investor. Long term to him could have been one day. So... When you hear him discuss that, I mean, he can't do a show and do Am I Diversified and have someone giving 20 positions. So some of his Am I Diversified is for TV. For, well, it's for TV. He did it first on his radio show. Mm-hmm. That's where it started. He did that on the radio show. Now, he used to do radio and TV, and his radio show was really a whole lot better than the TV show. He didn't do all that screaming and jumping around like he does, and he would just talk, which I found better for investors to listen to. He was more investor-oriented as opposed to trading. So us saying that we believe you ought to have 20 positions gets back to this fact that we don't want more than 5% of any person's assets in one position. And we say that even in your company stock. If you're investing in your company stock, the stock where you work, Three-year 401k. Yeah, we don't want more than 5% of your retirement money in the company stock. And I don't care how great the stock is because I happen to have seen times in my life where I work for companies where people put a lot much, lot more in that, and then the companies went out of business. They not only lost their job, but they lost their retirement. And I, I can tell you that Jeff and I see this doing portfolio, doing portfolio reviews a lot with the petroleum industry employees putting a lot of their retirement nest egg through 401ks in their company stock. And it's great to be supportive, and it's great to love where you work and love who your employer is, but you also have to kind of be a little selfish and think about your own retirement needs and your own retirement nest egg and not take too big of a bet because, again, harkens back to Enron. It harkens back to WorldCom. I mean, it harkens back to those employees years ago who lost their nest egg because there was a lot of cheerleading from upper-level management to buy, keep 
keep funneling as much money in it as possible. Not saying that any companies in existence today are you know doing some of the fraudulent things that that these companies were doing, but you always have to look out for kind of number one. I mean, you have to look out for number one when you're saving for retirement. And you know, another thing that I like to teach, particularly when it comes to long-term investing and when it comes to performance. I always like to use the analogy is you have to look at your investment returns like a batting average, like a batting average for a baseball player. You know, let's use Ted Williams or let's use Tony Gwynn. Uh, you know, rest, may he rest in peace. Let's use him as an example. You know, baseball players can get into the Hall of Fame with having a great lifetime batting average, but throughout their career, throughout the lifetime of them stepping up to the plate, they're going to have years where they underperform where they don't have a good year at the uh, up at the plate and they don't bat very well and they have low numbers. And then they're going to have other years where they have some average years. And then they're going to have some great years where they're knocking the cover off the ball. But what determines whether or not a baseball player gets into the Hall of Fame is their lifetime batting average. And it's the combination of all of those years and how they've performed. It's the same thought process and the same thought pattern you need to have when it comes to investing. You're going to have some below average years. You're going to have some just average years and you're going to have some great years, but the key is is to have more great years than bad and average years to get your portfolio to the Hall of Fame. Well, here's a little commercial coming in here. 25, this is our 26th year, and I was talking about I'm starting my 38th year as a manager. There was 12 years in there before Davidson Capital Management was formed in which I developed our philosophy. And I developed it managing money under three or four different corporate situations where I learned what was working and what wasn't working. And, you know, I learned on other people's money, so to speak. But I learned through those years that 100% equity made no sense. 100% bond made no sense. But the two could work together in combination. But what I found was there wasn't, there were fixed income people and there were stock people. There wasn't both. You didn't see the hybrid. You didn't see the manager that could do both sides. And so as I, as I developed our philosophy, I learned that it made more sense to be 10 years and under. It made more sense to stick with quality because by sticking with quality, you took risk out. By having stocks and bonds, you took risk out. And by doing that, you raised your batting average. You made the hole shallower when you were losing in stocks you were making in bonds. And so in the beginning, oh, yeah, everyone knows the most money you can make is to be 100% in the stock market. And it works really good until 1987 rolls around and it goes down 25% in one day. That doesn't work very well. That wipes out a number of years in about four hours. And you learn, hey, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And same thing in the late 90s. Oh, yeah, it was wonderful when the dot-coms were going crazy, but it didn't look real good late in 2000, 2001, and two. And, you know, staying the course was really great in January, February, March of 2008. It wasn't very great in November, December 2008. Or, or January, February. there might not be a course to <laughs> stay. Nine. You might not have had enough course to, to, to have a meal. Well, and, and again, that goes back to what we talked about a few segments ago about the psychological damage. And I know that we've talked on past shows here on Money Wise 
where we've talked about the psychological effects when you take these kind of losses and how, again, it, it creates that emotion and that fear. And when fear and emotion start combining into your portfolio, it keeps you sitting on the sidelines or it keeps you less invested in stocks to to really try to achieve and reach your goal for whatever you're saving for. And we're still seeing that today. I mean, again, we're seeing it today because we see the volatility. If there's more participants, more investors in this market, more mom and pop investors, we wouldn't see this extreme levels of volatility that we've been seeing. If we taxed day trading, we wouldn't have this extreme volatility. Or if we taxed high-frequency trading or got high-frequency trading under control. That's that's what I'm saying. That would take care of that problem. The problem is is that high-frequency trading is paying the note for the New York Stock Exchange. That's how they're making their money. They are never going to go against that. For something to change in that market, it's going to have to come from outside. It's not going to come from within Wall Street. Well, really, what we have to have, Dad, is we have to have a nonprofit exchange. We have to well, have yeah. a nonprofit you exchange. You guys will see that. I'm, I'm convinced. You think Jeff and I will see I a nonprofit really think exchange? You, I really think you in will our career. see that in your lifetime. You will see a national market. I mean, because that will take away the incentive for the high-frequency yes. trading. I, I, and it'll be I welcome it'll be somewhere in the central part of the country, away from Wall Street. I, I welcome that day. I welcome the day to where we see a nonprofit exchange and maybe just a one central exchange. Let me correct you. Jeff may not see it. I think you will see it, Kyle. <laughs> well, we're not that far away in age, so uh, it's only about ten, less than ten, 10 years. years in there. All right. Well, let's take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-275. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So going back to this article, there was a couple of other statements, and these actually come from Ben Franklin. And and one of them is, an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. And again, one of the reasons why we started this radio show back in late 2005 was because it gave us a podium, it gave us a platform to provide education because there's just uh, there's such a lack of education out there, and it seems like a lot of the education that is available has a particular bent. You know, it's trying to push you in a certain direction as an investor to buy an investment product that's being sold by the uh, financial legacy distribution system you know, as we like to call it, it always seems that education is kind of pushing you one direction or another, and we're trying to provide unbiased education. And as we always say to all investors is that, you know, there are so many tools available online for you to educate yourself. You know, when a a pitch sounds too good to be true, it, it most likely is, and there's a lot of vehicles out there to help you to educate yourself. And so as Benjamin Franklin says, an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. You really have to you have to really let that kind of soak into you. 
and utilize the tools available. You know, if you want to look up the broker that you're working with, go to brokercheck.com. You know, someone's pitching you an investment product. Before you sign on the line and which is dotted, look it up. Do some research. Educate yourself. You know, as we say, if you can't explain it to a 5-year-old or a 10-year-old in two or three minutes and get them to understand it, then you're probably it's not a good idea to buy. Um, another statement is beware of expenses. A small leak will sink a great ship. And, boy, how many times have we seen that, Jeff? You know, expenses is one thing that is easiest to control if you understand that you're getting charged more more fees than than you think you are to begin with. And I see this a lot with, we see this a lot with annuities. Uh, annuities, I think, are probably one of the biggest Drain. challenges. I would say drains on, know, on the, assets. The biggest challenges to a portfolio being successful is, is owning an annuity inside that portfolio because you're you're basically guaranteeing that you will never even equal a market average performance because the fees and expenses built into the 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 annuity itself even if it has the best possible investment options and trust me the average annuity does not have the best the best uh investment choices possible when you add up Average investment choices with high expenses, you're guaranteed to be below average consistently year after year after year after year. And they're still sold. They're, they're still successfully selling them to investors every single day. And we've in the 10 years that we've done this show, we've almost made this our personal uh, mission, mission. There you go. <laughs> it's a personal Cru- mission. To, to, crusade. To, yeah, I like that. To steer crusade. people away from these types of investments. Now, there's also many other violators. You know, av- uh, uh, the the average loaded mutual fund carries uh, an initial sales charge that's equal to multiple years of professional full time investment management just to buy into the mutual fund itself they you know a minimum you know anywhere from two to three percent to as almost as much as six percent uh is very common in an upfront sales charge another thing is buying stocks you know just buying stocks through a full service broker and you're you're the average ticket price that i see from an from a full service broker is about two percent of the gross purchase and that is outrageous so you know, for five thousand dollar purchase, you're paying two hundred and fifty dollars in transaction costs. I mean, that's 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 a that's twenty it's times egregious. more. That's twenty times more you'd pay at a at a, at a discount brokerage firm. Yes, well, you better well, be getting good advice if well, you're paying that kind of fee. Well, well, now, if that broker is giving you good advice and covers the two percent, that's one thing. But you and I both know. Unfortunately, the vast majority of them do not. Well, the one thing, again, talking about fees and, and what I, I like to, to do for any individual investor out there is to understand the two big types of fees. You have your hard dollar fees 
and your soft dollar fees. Your hard dollar fees are your upfront commissions. You know, those are the commissions that you see when you buy that mutual fund or you buy that stock and you pay that commission and you see it come right off the right off the top. You see that difference in what you're investing and what you actually paid and what was actually invested. That's a hard dollar cost. But where annuities, where non-traded real estate investment trusts, uh, where even mutual funds, once you get past that initial sales fee, really get their investors or get their clients is on the soft dollar side. Those are the fees that are accrued daily and taken out daily that you never see. When you get your statement from your from your annuity, that's net of those soft dollar fees. When you get a statement about your stocks or your individual mutual funds, it's net of those soft dollar fees. Those are the fees that you don't see. Those are the fees that you also need to be asking about. And if you're sitting down and someone's pitching you an annuity and you ask them, well, what are the soft dollar charges? They're not going to know what to do. They're not going to know what to do. And they're going to start trying to provide you with the half truths of what you're actually well, they're, they're going to focus on these guaranteed returns. The G word. Yeah. The, yeah. They're going to focus on the G word. Which, again, is not a guarantee. It's just a promise, and it's only as good as the company providing the promise. They're going to say, don't you want 5% a year guaranteed income for the rest of your life? Don't you want that, Mr. or Mrs. Customer? And it's not quite that simple. Nope. And what they're talking about is the published interest rate, which changes monthly. It's just that hook to get you to sign on that line, and which is dotted to get you into that long surrender charge penalty period so they can lock your assets up. So you have to understand the difference between hard dollar costs and soft dollar costs. And soft dollar costs are in the prospectus. Soft dollar costs are in the information, but you have to know what you're looking for and you have to dig deeper, as we've always said from day one on this program. And to really summarize this hour is you have to dig deeper well, and use the tools available to educate yourself before yeah, number, you make that investment Number one, decision. be diversified. Number two, know what you own. Do the research. Dig deeper, as you say. And number three, have a, always have a mind on what it's costing. That's right. Okay, and with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.